May the peace of God rest upon each one here today. Now that's a nice thing to say, especially in this time of season of peace, supposedly when we think of that time of Christmas when people send cards to each other that say peace on earth. But I hope that by the time I get done here this morning, it's more than just a nice thing to say, because that's what I'm going to talk about is peace. people often talk about that this time of the year but do they really think about what it means peace on earth goodwill toward men that's what the angels said when Jesus came and that was the beginning of an everlasting reign of peace we may think that was a small beginning and it was and in a way it's still a small kingdom But never forget that it's going to be an everlasting kingdom. In Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. It calls him the Prince of Peace. A prince is a ruler, so he's going to be a ruler of peace. And that's different than the kingdoms of the world. The kingdoms of the world use force to keep their people in the right place. There's policemen around to make sure we obey the laws, and if not, there's Jail's waiting for us to help us. That's the way the kingdoms of the world rule. And there's some kingdoms that rule much more harshly than that yet. And we read in the Bible the kingdoms of the world, even Israel's kingdom, ruled by force. But this is a rule of peace. How does that work? Well, it works from the inside out rather than the outside in. It gives us a new heart which makes us want to obey rather than forcing us from the outside. And that brings peace because now we are in agreement with the ruler. We are in agreement, which is part of peace. And like I said, it seems like a small kingdom now. It's not a major force in the affairs of the world. It starts in our hearts, peace in our hearts. We see peace in the church. We see it in small ways, but it's not a big force. But that's going to change. It says, um, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. It's going to keep on increasing until it overcomes all the kingdoms of the world. There's come a, going to come a time when all the kingdoms of the world will be put aside. And then this kingdom of peace will be the only kingdom left. <clears throat> and it's going to keep on increasing. The, and it's interesting that it says, of the increase of his peace, there shall be no end. How does peace keep increasing? When we go through a time of difficulty and then come out on the other side and it's peaceful. And 
things are just really nice again, and we're so relieved. We think, ah, oh, this is great. This is, this is just what I want. But here it says it's going to keep on increasing. Even after we've reached what we think is the fullness of peace, where it can't get any better than this, it says his peace will keep increasing. And I don't know what that's going to be like, but think of the most peaceful situation you can be in and then think of it increasing without end. <clears throat> now if we go to Matthew 10.34, talks about peace again. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So what do we make of that? The Prince of Peace saying, I have not come to send peace. How do we reconcile those two verses? Well, we have to recognize that there is another kingdom on earth, and it's Satan's kingdom, and Jesus came to destroy that kingdom. And that won't happen without a fight, because Satan is a fighter, and his servants will fight. If you look carefully, it doesn't say that God, that Jesus is telling his servants to fight. He's telling them that there will be a sword, but he doesn't say that, tell them to take up the sword. Jesus was at this point uh, instructing his disciples to go out and preach in the cities of Jerusalem, in the cities of Israel. And he said that this is what you can expect. You can expect fights. You can expect difficulties. But don't worry about it. <clears throat> In fact, in Matthew 5.44, which was before this, he was telling his disciples, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So that was God's will for his people, for his disciples. But regardless of that, there's going to be fights, there's going to be difficulties. And you're going to have to choose... um, God, if you choose God's way, there's going to be people that disagree with you and, and uh, fight against you. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that he is not, his kingdom is not a kingdom of peace. I have some words here that would describe peace. Agreement. Compatible. Calmness. At rest, quietness, contentment, lack of fear. I'm going to read that again because I read them pretty fast. Agreement, compatible, calmness, at rest, quietness, contentment, lack of fear. I suppose if we'd ask everyone here this morning, is that what you want in your life, in your situation? Everybody would say, yes, that's what we want. We want rest and quietness. We want agreement. It's 
It's a very pleasant situation. And that's what peace is. Everyone wants peace. And I suppose if we'd ask everybody in Wellman, they would all say, yes, that's what we want. Or in the whole United States or in the whole world, everybody wants that. Everybody wants peace. So why can't we all just sit down and discuss this and come up with peace? That would seem simple, wouldn't it? We all want the thing, but nobody knows how to get it. Why is that? Why are we always against each other and can't have peace like we want it? Well, I thought of it this way as a computer. An enemy has hacked into our computer and has corrupted the program of peace, messed it all up. So now, if it runs at all, it runs for only a short time and crashes frequently. That's the way it is in our hearts. We just cannot help ourselves and come up with a perfect peace that lasts. This happened a long time ago when the first computer was messed up and it messed up all the rest of ours. Back at the time of creation, if we think of how God created the world and the animals and everything... He created it at peace. When he created everything, it was at peace. There was nothing to destroy peace. The animals all got along well with each other. The rabbit didn't have to run away from the wolf, and the sheep was not afraid of the lion. And Adam could walk up to the hippopotamus and pet him. There was no fear. There was nothing to disturb the peace. Everything was at peace. Everything was well fed. They didn't have to go around in hunger. There was no parasites. There was no sickness. And there was perfect peace between God and man. But soon after creation, we know what happened. Sin came into the world. Adam and Eve sinned. And instantly, peace left. You know, right away after they committed that sin, all of a sudden they were ashamed. They had a different feeling. They were ashamed because they were naked. And then they were afraid of God and had to hide themselves. There was no peace in that. See how sin just absolutely destroyed peace. And then there was arguing. Then there was death. Man became proud and selfish. And that all works against peace. In Isaiah, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We have forgotten how to have peace. I'm thinking especially we've gone our own way and trying to find peace in our own way, and we can't find it. And it compares us to sheep going astray. And when sheep get lost, can they find their way back? No, they can't find their way back. They stay lost. There was no hope for us. There is peace, no peace, saith my God to the wicked. So that's why we can't get together in the world and talk about it, come up with a way to have peace. But God didn't forget about us. And... 
to God, peace is a far greater thing than what it is to us. It's far more important to him either, even than it is to us. It was so big to him that he gave his most precious gift, his own son, to make peace with us. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So Christ was um, Christ was willing to lose his peace and suffer so that we can have peace. He was chastised for our peace. And Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we can have a relationship with God again. Our peace can be restored <clears throat> through faith. As I thought about peace with God and how to describe it, it seemed like there was two parts to peace with God. <clears throat> Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that's kind of a short verse, but it brings out both parts of peace with God. First of all, it says, We have no condemnation. Our sins no longer condemn us because they are forgiven. And that brings peace. Fear is gone and we are at rest. Remember how some of the description of peace was no fear and being at rest and quietness. That's what happens when our sins are taken away. We have peace because of that. And the next part of peace comes has to do with our wills. Our wills are now in agreement with God. It said, uh, those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now we have a changed heart and we are in agreement with God, which was another word for peace. There's no arguing, no resisting God's will because God's will is our will. And that brings true peace. If we go back to the analogy of a computer, we needed more than the latest update for our program. That's not going to do it. We need more than a reboot. You know, sometimes you shut off the computer and start it up again, then things work right. That's not going to do it. We need a whole new operating system, a whole new change of heart within, and then we can have peace. Now I'm going to talk about the peace of God. We had been talking about peace with God, how we have peace with God, but now there's another part of it, the peace of God and how that works in our lives. Jesus said in John 14:27, "Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid." Jesus was talking to his disciples before he died and told them that he was leaving them. I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you a special gift, and that gift was peace. 
Peace I leave with you. And it was a different peace. And I doubt if the disciples really understood what that peace was all about. They were used to the world's peace. The world's peace is what needs outward circumstances. If things around us are nice and we don't have conflict with the things around us, then we have peace. That's the world's peace. But that's only temporal and can easily be lost. The peace that Jesus was giving them was different. It was a permanent peace. It comes from within and does not depend on outward things. We can have peace even though the outward things are in great turmoil. It comes from faith that God is in complete control of everything that I face in life. I had to think of uh, those captives in Haiti. I read, read a little bit about their experiences and how even in the midst of a great difficulty that God was blessing them with peace. As they prayed, God brought a unity and a peace in their hearts that he is hearing them and he is answering their prayers. And that's the peace that we're talking about. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Peace is the result of truly knowing that, more than just in our heads. You know, we read that, we know it's true, but it needs to be in our hearts. And then we can have peace. Faith and peace always go together. I was just, I was thinking of this, I thought, there's just no way to separate them. If we don't have faith in God, we aren't going to have peace. We aren't going to believe that he's taking care of us. But if we have faith, then peace comes. Sometimes it seems like God is far away and doesn't even notice all our difficulties. He doesn't see what I'm going through and doesn't hear our prayers. But that's when faith needs to kick in and um, give us that peace. I had to think of an illustration of a child left at home alone for the first time. And I suppose some of you can relate to this. Think back to when you were young and your parents left and you had to be in control of the whole situation at home for the first time. And You know, it might have been kind of scary. At first, you sat down to read a book and things weren't going too bad. But then all of a sudden, oh, what's that noise? What's that noise? And, well, you wait a little bit, and pretty soon you hear it again. Hmm, that sounds like a fire. I wonder if the house is on fire. Well, I don't know, but do I smell smoke? Then you hear another noise, and, oh, I wonder if that's somebody outside. So you look out the window, and here you see a shadow run out behind a barn. Yep, there's somebody out there. I know it is. So you run upstairs and climb under the bed. There you're safe. And you stay there till a spider starts crawling up your arm, and so you quickly get out of there. And, oh boy, this just isn't going so good. Then you look at the clock, and it's already quarter after nine. And mom and dad said they're going to be home at nine o'clock. Oh boy, what happened? Why aren't they at home yet? And you wait a little longer, and Finally, you look at the clock again, and it's 20 after 9. 
Oh, my. Why aren't they at home? I know they were going to be at home at 9 o'clock. I bet they had an accident. I bet they're both gone and dead. And you wait a little longer, and finally, it's 25 after 9, and you're about ready to start packing your bags and walking to the neighbors because we just know they're gone. They're never going to come home again. And all of a sudden, they drive in the driveway and walk in the door. How did you feel after they walk in the door? All of a sudden, all the troubles are just gone. It was just foolish to even think about those things. Just the tremendous relief that God is, that your parents are here. (laughs) And it just changes the picture completely. I wonder if that's the way it is with us and God sometimes. You know, we get all disturbed about things and we feel like God isn't with us and he's not caring about us and taking care of us. And all of a sudden we realize that God is there. And then the peace that comes over us. Are we, sometimes I wonder if God would, if we could get the true picture, it's probably even more of a difference between us and God than it was between us and our parents. Just think about that peace that we can have. And then we go to Colossians 3.15 and we see another aspect of peace. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. Peace is so important that it is a guide for life. It can guide us in our life and help us to make the right choices. When we find ourselves in place of a decision, when conflicting desires are working within us and pulling us in different directions, which is the right way? What shall I choose? Let peace of God settle the matter. But it has to be the right peace. The world also brings peace. Earthly pleasures bring peace, but they're not a safe guide. It needs to be that inner peace with God. Whatever tends to destroy that inner peace needs to be done away with. It needs to be avoided. And also I noticed in this verse, I don't know if I've ever thought about it before in this way, it says, uh, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body. It seems it has something to do with... uh, Unity in the church helping to guide us. And it's part of that peace. Peace with God and peace with men as a guiding force in our lives. How will my choice affect my peace with God? How will it affect my peace with his people? That's the kind of peace that's supposed to rule in our hearts. And then also in Matthew 5, 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Like we said before, peace is a big thing with God. And let's stop and think who said these words. It was the one who was going to lay down his life for the sake of peace. He was the one that said, blessed are the peacemakers. So they're not just some nice words to read and think, well, it's nice if we can be peaceful, but if not, it will just miss a little blessing. No, it's more important than that. He was willing to lay down his life for the sake of peace. How much are we willing to sacrifice for peace? 
How much are we willing to sacrifice? Our sacrifices look pretty small compared to Jesus, don't they? <clears throat> in Romans twelve eighteen, it says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. How much lies within us? Are we putting it, giving it all we have to live peaceably? There's probably more lying within us than we think if we can just get self out of the way. Get self out of the way and then we can do a lot in making peace. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Don't give up purity for the sake of peace or holiness. There's another verse that says, With Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. But let's be peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And I suppose that last part, blessed are the peacemakers, how we can live in peace, how we can make peace, that would be enough for another sermon. But hopefully the... I've planted some seeds, and we can think about making peace. We can think about the peace of God and how peace and trust go together. And I'd like to leave you with two verses from Philippians. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus.